your next adventure might be closer than you think. IVC animates the expertise of individuals over 50 who have the passion and commitment to direct their attention to issues impacting the world. Members of IVC's Service Corps use their time and experience one or two days a week to give back and make a difference. IVC's core members build community through monthly faith-sharing meetings, occasional retreats, and opportunities for one-on-one spiritual reflection in the Ignatian tradition. Your most important work may begin after you retire. Consider IVC. To learn more, visit www.ivcusa.org. Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about the biggest stories out of the Vatican. This is the end of a historic week in Rome for indigenous leaders seeking redress, seeking reconciliation with the church. A final public audience was held today at the Vatican, and the Pope, he did not mince his words. After many years of waiting, indigenous people have finally heard, I'm sorry. Pope Francis says he's ashamed and indignant at the deplorable abuses suffered by indigenous peoples at the hands of Catholic educators. Last week, Pope Francis apologized for the Catholic Church's role in Canada's residential school system, which aimed to suppress indigenous culture and were often the site of abuse. I ask for God's forgiveness, and I want to say to you with all my heart, I am very sorry. This week, we'll hear about what that apology meant to Indigenous leaders, and whether a papal trip to Canada could be possible. Next up, Jerry accompanied Pope Francis to Malta this weekend. As he walked through Malta International Airport, he looked very tired and needed the help of a priest to walk down some steps. We'll recap the trip and hear what the Pope had to say about any correspondence with Putin. We'll also talk about the special shout-out that the Pope gave Jerry's wife, Elisabetta Piquet, and the questions that the trip raised about the Pope's health. I'm Colleen Deli. This is Inside the Vatican. Good morning from New Orleans, Jerry. Good afternoon from sunny Rome, Colleen. You have had a busy, busy week. I feel like I say that every week, but last week we had a packed week with the indigenous delegations from Canada coming to visit the Pope. And then over the weekend, you were in Malta with the Pope. So we'll talk about both of those on the show. First off, let's talk about these meetings with the delegations of leaders from the indigenous First Nations, Inuit, and Métis people. These delegations traveled from Canada to tell the Pope about their experiences in the church-run residential schools there. We heard last week from a few of those residential school survivors from the Archdiocese of Regina. But in terms of how the meetings went, Pope Francis stayed longer than expected, listening with each delegation on Monday and Thursday. And then on Friday, he spoke to all of the delegates together. And while they were in that meeting, he apologized for the church's role in operating these schools and for the abuse that happened there. So, Jerry, you were following this meeting on Friday and you spoke with some of the delegates. What did they make of both the meetings and, I guess more importantly, the apology. They said it was really a historic moment in their journey to rebuild their lives, overcome the traumas of 120 years, and uh, look to the future, Mm. process of healing and uh, reconstruction. Here's a clip of Métis elder Angie Krarar responding to the apology during a press conference. This today was a day I will never forget. 
the rest of my life. Some started on Monday when we came home to come to visit our Holy Father. And, and today was, my heart is so full I can hardly speak. It was very interesting. They all came out with the same statement, expressed in different ways, obviously, but the same message. We feel we have been heard. They felt the Pope had heard them. One of the Inuit leader, he said, I was touched by the way he expressed his sorrow and how he condemned what had been done to us. And then another one said, today is the day we have been waiting for. Wow. And I remember they had originally scheduled a half an hour per group. And I felt I can't see anything much being done in half an hour. Each meeting lasted at least an hour. And each group individually came away happy. Now, they spoke very strongly. They all said this, and those bishops whom I spoke to who were present, they said they spoke very straightforward, frankly, but with great respect in a courteous way, but leaving no doubt about what they, they wanted to tell him. And he received it to his heart. And he, he told them, he said, at the end, he said, I, I feel sorrow and shame. Then he made very clear that He's, he says, I ask God's forgiveness, and I want to say to you with all my heart, I am very sorry, and I join my brothers, the Canadian bishops, in asking your pardon. And he, he said it in such a way that they, they felt it was sincere. So I, I heard one of them talking about the former Prime Minister of Canada, Harper, who they said, he made an apology, etc., but it didn't ring sincere, and then there was no follow-up. On the other hand, the Pope made an apology, but he also indicated, I'm going to say more when I get to Canada. I hope to be with you for the Feast of St. Anne. And he said, I won't come in the winter. He didn't want to come in the Arctic conditions. This is just a first step. I feel like we should mention that, you know, the indigenous groups have been calling for the Pope to issue an apology on their land, on the land where these abuses were committed. So this first apology was not totally expected. We thought maybe it would happen. You mentioned last week on the show that you expected the Pope to express his sorrow for the things that had happened, but they still are hoping for a papal apology in Canada. And the Pope signaled, as you mentioned, that he intends to travel to Canada. So what, what do we know about that? Well, it's very clear. Francis has long wanted to go to Canada. He was waiting for the consensus of the Canadian bishops to invite him without any division among themselves. He believes that it is necessary for him to go there. He never had a doubt about this. So he wants to visit around the Feast of St. Anne, which is July 26th, so pretty soon here. But why, why St. Anne? Why is this important? Well, it's important to the indigenous peoples. They have great devotion to St. Anne, and it's important to the Pope, because the Pope, we've heard him repeatedly talk about grandparents, the importance of grandparents in the family. Yeah, St. Anne was the grandmother of Jesus, and a grandmother is a particularly respected elder in these indigenous traditions. And he has told many times how he himself, as a young boy, was greatly influenced by his grandmother. Mm -hmm. And she left a lasting impression on him. And he has, he has brought that tradition from his own family, which happens to kind of 
coincide with the tradition of the indigenous peoples. So that would mean he would be in Canada on the 26th of July, all being well. And then he would stay, I don't know, three, four days, five days. He would obviously go to more than one place because they want him to visit their respective community areas. Yeah, actually, on this St. Anne thing, I was reading up on the significance of St. Anne for Indigenous peoples yesterday, and it turns out that in Alberta, Canada, there's this lake called Lac St. Anne. And since 1889, First Nations and Métis people have met every summer around the Feast of St. Anne at this lake to, to celebrate the feast together, which I thought was really interesting. So maybe that's a place that the Pope could go. Yes, I understand that there has been some planning, but we haven't got the details of it yet. Right. There's also a big question around this trip, which is about the Pope's mobility. He had a little bit of a difficult time getting around during his trip to Malta this weekend. So when we come back, we'll talk about that trip and we'll also talk about what the Pope's knee problems might mean for future papal trips. Stay with us. Pope Francis left Rome at 8.30 in the morning to begin his apostolic journey to the island of Malta off the southern tip of Sicily. Several times, Pope Francis has expressed his concern for the sufferings of migrants searching for a better life. Pope Francis took a weekend trip to Malta this weekend, and Jerry, you were traveling with him. Just to start us off, what was the purpose of this trip? Why did the Pope go to Malta? Well, he's long wanted to go to Malta because of the Apostle Paul, who was shipwrecked there. Paul was a kind of a the prototype of the migrants. He got shipwrecked on the island, and they gave him hospitality. And for the Pope, this idea of one of the Mediterranean islands giving hospitality to those who are shipwrecked, and when he has looked at the Mediterranean Sea and sees so many people coming, and the sea becoming the greatest cemetery in Europe. I, I was told that way back in, uh, was it... 2019 or 2020, there was a Christian Unity Week, which was prepared by the Maltese, and they chose the reading from the Acts of the Apostles, which tell about St. Paul's shipwreck and how the islanders welcomed him. Right. The motto for this weekend trip was a, tr a quote from Acts, which says, they showed us extraordinary hospitality. Yeah. He read that. It came up in also in another event in the same month, the two texts, and it got into his head that he wanted to go to see this island, which welcomed St. Paul. Of course, he's been planning to go for two years. The pandemic blocked it. And finally, he suddenly decided he was going, even though the elections were due to take place. And normally the Pope doesn't travel at an election time. So he announced it before the elections took place. In fact, the elections took place the weekend before he arrived. But, you know, you, you raised this, this point about the election. He usually doesn't travel during election years to places that are holding elections. This didn't stop him from talking about politics a little bit on this trip, specifically about the importance of financial transparency and calling out corruption. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he, he knows what the problems of the island are. Mm -hmm. For example, he's very strong on the question of the environment. Malta in recent years has been subjected to enormous building speculation, which has been destroying the natural beauty of the islands. 
and the bishops have spoken out against it. It's been a big issue of discussion in public affairs, and Francis touched on that. Then Malta has opened to wealthy people. If you came in and you have seven or eight hundred thousand dollars, you can get a Maltese passport. And obviously, this means that everything has a price. And it's something that Francis doesn't like. And then there's been the question of Malta being used uh, for financial transactions, which lack transparency. So Francis touched on this whole area of honesty in financial dealings, respect for nature, avoidance of corruption. I was really struck when he was talking about that by how much he emphasized that financial mismanagement or you know these kinds of things have the greatest impact on people who are at the bottom of society, who don't have the money, right? He talks about this with the environment, the wealthier nations, you know, excess ends up having the most negative impact on poorer nations that are subject to more natural disasters, for example. Remember, this is a Pope who from day one has spoken about the poor, what damages the poor, the people at the bottom of the ladder. And he's very conscious about how money is used, first of all in the Vatican, but in the church in general, and then in society. And he, he feels that, uh, that there's this consumer mentality and that everything has a price. And, you know, if you have money, you can go anywhere. And he really challenges that mentality and says, this is not how, as a human family, we should be living. And so he, he touched on all this in a few paragraphs. I would really, you know, recommend that our listeners read that first speech of the Pope in Malta to the authorities, to the civil authorities, the religious authorities in the country, because it touches on this, but it also, of course, touches on the war in the Ukraine. And Francis is very sensitive to this, and he's very sensitive to how autocracy is taking over in many parts of the world, and democracy is retreating. Right. And you mentioned, you know, he, he gave this very fiery speech in which he talked about Ukraine and he really called out Putin uh, for being an autocrat. He said about Putin, but without naming him, once again, some potentate sadly caught up in anachronistic claims of national interests is provoking and fomenting conflicts, whereas ordinary people sense the need to build a future that will either be shared or not be at all. He talked about Ukraine several times on this trip, in that speech, and also aboard the papal plane. Can you just kind of sum up for us what, what he was saying? Well, basically, he is saying that uh, he's, he had a fundamental line that I liked. He said, peace generates prosperity, war only poverty. True. That was a very powerful little line. And he said, we need compassion and care, not ideological and populist visions fueled by words of hate and unconcerned for the concrete life of ordinary people. It's exactly what we were just saying about corruption, right? Exactly, exactly. People in the halls of power's decisions are negatively affecting regular folks. And then he sees the wars as a defeat of humanity. Very interesting. He keeps coming back to Cain and Abel. On the plane, uh, on the flight back from Malta, he spoke about Cain and Abel. And you remember when he went to his first trip to Lampedusa, Mm -hmm. He spoke about Cain and Abel. You know, where is your brother? Am I my brother's keeper? Uh, and Francis is very conscious of 
getting this message across is trying to change mentality. Say a little more. How would you summarize that that change in mentality that he wants to see? Well, for example, in terms of, of the war, he's made us clear on the plane that once you get into this idea that might is right, that if you've got the power and the force, you can dictate what happens in life. He says it's very difficult to move from that kind of mentality to a mentality that is peacemaking, working for peace. And he said, we keep pushing on this blessed of the peacemakers, but there's a mentality, and it's part of the mentality of the autocrats, that is exactly the opposite. With force, you can get your way. So Francis, in his speech to the authorities, the first speech in Malta, he touched on this very clearly. And he says, how much we need human moderation before the infantile and destructive aggression that threatens us, before the risk of an enlarged Cold War that can stifle the life of entire peoples and generations. And we're seeing this play being played out before us. We also learned that Pope Francis is following the war in Ukraine extremely closely, which I'm sure you already knew, but he made public on the plane that he is in close touch with your wife, Elisabetta Piquet, who works for La Nación, which is the Argentine daily newspaper. And she's in Odessa right now, which has been subject to some missile attacks. But the Pope was saying that he calls her a few times a week to get updates on what's going on there. Well, on the flight from Rome to Malta, I was seated by the window, and then there was another friend of mine next to me, and then there was a Maltese television journalist, and then there was the aisle. And the Pope came down and greeted every journalist as he does. We're, we're about 74, I think, on the plane. Mm -hmm. And he greeted the Maltese journalists, and then he greeted the journalist, my friend, next to me. And then he saw me, and he said, uh, and how is Elisabetta? Mm -hmm. And he said, she's still in Odessa. And I said, yes. And... Uh, then he said, and, and how are the children? How are they doing? Mm -hmm. And uh, the Maltese journalist was a little surprised by this kind of very personal <laughs> conversation from the Pope. Mm -hmm. uh, but th that's how he is. I mean, he's, he's kind of a spiritual father to the family. I mean, yeah, he baptized your kids. Yes. And long before he became Pope, he was always concerned of what was happening in the family. And now that she's in war, he's even more concerned. And and he knows she's a very good journalist and he's very, uh, he trusts her judgment and he reads her articles and he, he's, he's, he, uh, he speaks to her. As he said, we, we never said anything publicly. It was he who spilled the beans, as it were. Uh, but uh, it, it really shows the Pope doesn't just work by ordinary official channels to get his information. Right. He doesn't just depend on the Curia or on ambassadors or governments or nuncios. He also goes out to ordinary people That's right. whose judgment he trusts and who, whom he knows are in touch with the reality. I wanted to ask you one more thing about this trip, which was about kind of the shape that the Pope was in. You mentioned he was able to walk around and greet people aboard the plane. He wasn't able to descend or ascend the stairs to the plane, and we saw that he was having some difficulty getting around. We know that he've, he's had some trouble with his knee lately. He's had some acute knee pain. Um, so what's, what's going on with his health, and what, what effect did this have on the trip? He's got real problems with his leg. And he said, mm -hmm. two weeks ago, I, I couldn't move. Wow. Because he, he, was, he was asked directly. But on the plane, when he came back to meet us, it was obvious that he has 
problems. He's moving with difficulty. What is this from, Jerry? Did he did he hurt his knee? Does he have arthritis? What do we know? Well, it is not clear, I think. Okay. We thought it was knee ligaments, but maybe it's another problem. I mean, he's had a hip problem. So we don't quite know exactly what it is. It created mobility difficulties, serious mobility difficulties for him. But he did everything that was planned. He went on the catamaran to go to Goz, the island of Gozo. He went down in the Basilica for St. Paul. He went down to see the grotto where St. Paul, according to tradition, spent three months while he was on the island. But they had organized a little lift for him to go down there as well. Got it. But then during the mass at a certain point, he had to sit down. Mm-hmm. So it is clear that he has got a problem. And he, he was very open about it. He said, uh, my health is capricious. Hmm. He says, we'll have to see how the game ends. And obviously, he will need some kind of medical treatment or something in, in this period because he's got Holy Week coming up now. And they have just issued today the the fact that he will be presiding at the Palm Sunday Mass. But my understanding is that he will not take part in the procession. So obviously, they will have to tailor make the events for him, just as they did for the last years of John Paul II. They devised ways of reducing the stress and uh, making uh, mobility more easy. Of course, the, the big question that is in many people's mind is that, will he go to Kiev? Which he signaled again on the plane this weekend that he is open to doing. He He wants to go if it's going to help in any way. I think in his heart, if you went to his heart, I think his heart would be that I'm going to be there. Absolutely. But there are lots of questions regarding security. He's traveled into war zones before, but the knee issue adds a whole other layer to it. So it's on, as he says, it's on the table. It's being considered. And I think we just have to stay tuned to see what happens. But then there's the bigger problem in July. He's scheduled to go from 2 to 7 July to the Democratic Republic of the Congo. And then he's scheduled to travel from there to South Sudan. And then if he plans to be in Canada for the 26th of July, he'll really want to be in good shape to be even do the first trip, not to mind the second trip. So th- there, there are many question marks over what is feasible in that time frame, or whether they will have to rework the time frame. Right. So that all remains to be seen. We will keep our listeners up to date on how all of that goes and how the plans are going for them when we know. Jerry, thank you so much for recapping this very busy week with us. And uh, hopefully this week is a little bit calmer. Thank you, Colleen. Uh, I never think things will be calmer because uh, (laughs) given the situation we're in, uh, Mm -hmm. we live from day to day. Inside the Vatican is a production of America Media. This week's episode was produced by Maggie Van Dorn and Ricardo Da Silva. Our executive producer is Sebastian Gomes. Audio engineering by Kevin Christopher Robles. Production assistance from Stefano Maero at the Jesuit Curia in Rome. You can find in-depth and up-to-date Vatican coverage at americamagazine.org and follow us on Twitter at I-N-S-D-E Vatican Pod. That's inside without the second I, Vatican Pod. And to support our work on the show, please purchase a digital subscription to America Magazine at americamagazine.org slash subscribe. Thanks. For America Media with Gerard O'Connell, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Deli. We'll see you next time. <laughs>